gather back together. I see that. I see that. Yes, the uh, the band has their uh, CD. Uh, you can, uh, I believe, get that for $10. Uh, you can talk to them when they get down there. Um, you know, buy some for your family and friends. Use that as a way to uh, connect them, to get them, you know, uh, connected with us in a way. I think that's a, a nice little addition to our time together. We're also going to transition the children. They know that. Miss um, Whitney is leading them now. want to talk briefly. I won't go into great detail. We'll talk about it again, and I'll send something out via the internets. But we need to talk briefly about fundraising. We, we didn't have the engagement that we needed. I, I'm not going to go into um, why or thoughts about that. don't think it's really important at this point. For the golf fundraiser, golf outing play day. So that was one of a couple fundraisers that we had talked about to kind of bridge this $15,000 gap that we have in um, our budget for the rest of the year uh, in terms of cutting off the, uh, you know, the, the regular income, looking at that, projecting that, uh, we're going to fall about $15,000 short. So we had planned some different fundraisers. We had done a couple of things. Um, and, and just there's just not, and there never is, the kind of energy to do a fundraiser to pay the bills. There just never is. There, there's no passion for me or for any of you or for anybody to do something to pay bills. It's just true. We, we're going to do crop walk, and that's something that's going to help people. And, and we've raised money for imaginal malaria, and that's something that is transforming lives. And so I'm making an executive decision, and sometimes that doesn't work out real well, and so I don't do it very often. But we're done with fundraisers. We're done. If we do a fundraiser, it's going to be for mission, global mission, local mission, whatever. We're going to talk about some, some kind of missional projects next year, things we're going to do on-site to better our community. It's exciting. We can raise money for that kind of stuff. But if we want to exist as a congregation, this year, next year, going forward, we need to commit to this congregation. And so we have to come up with the finances ourselves. Some of you have been great stewards. Some of you are tithing or close to that. I thank you. Some of you are, are starting to give. I thank you. But we have this ominous $15,000 kind of in front of us. And so we just need to pay that down. We just need to figure it out. So that's what I'm asking you, and I'm going to email it out, and we're going to talk about it. Figure out maybe a one-time gift that you can make towards that $15,000. Jennifer and I have talked. Um, she's not here right now to support me. <laughs> but uh, we have talked, and I hope she's okay, um, God willing. Oh, there she is. Hi, babe. Um, I always get a little concerned when I don't see them. Uh, we've done some talking, we've, we've looked through our books, and we've decided to make a $1,500 gift towards that 15000 So that's 10% of what we owe. Now I do that as an offering to God, as an offering to you, as an offering to this congregation, so that we may continue doing what we're doing. We came into this year expecting $50,000 from outside sources. We did not get that. We've gotten it down to $15,000. 
that's such a small amount of money to stop ministry. And we need to understand as we talk to one another, as we talk about this, there's no safety net for us. There's no, if we don't get this money, well, we'll just take it out of the endowment or we'll just take it out of savings. We, we started last year with no money, with zero, with no checking account, no bank account, nothing. And, and we've been able to raise money to do ministry because of your faithfulness. So I'm asking, as we go into the future and, and as we go into next year, I'm going to talk to the finance committee. They're going to get a budget together. And as you plan for giving next year, you can see what our budget is, what it looks like, how we will need to make it. Now, it, it will be significantly less than this year, which is good news. But to get to that point and to get to the opportunities that are arising for new life, for the Hilltop Ministry Center for McChesney Park, there are so many things on the horizon that we have to get past this hurdle, this obstacle. This is, this is kind of our... $15,000 wall of Jericho right now. And, and we can't just do fundraisers because it's, it's just seeping energy out of us. And so we have to do it. However we can. If you go home, and I, I don't want you to make a decision tonight. I want you to go home. I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it as we talk about going all in for the next four weeks. I want you to talk to your family about it. I want you to look and see what that may look like. And if you come to a place where you say, I just can't give, then I want you to think about maybe engaging in something like family and friends. We're not going to do that as a church, but if you want to do it, if you want to Facebook your friends and say, hey, look, can you go to our church's website? Can you donate $10? We all did it for the ice bucket thing, right? We can do it for us. ALS got $10 billion that you don't have any idea what they're going to do with. <laughs> you know, your friends are invested in you. Your family's invested in you. You can engage that. But, but don't, let's not make it about that. Let's make it about coming together and this one time just making it a reality. So I want you to think about that. Pray about that. Let's not try to chase it. Let, let's realize that everything we have from a gift is a gift from God. And this congregation, I don't know about you, but for me has been a gift. And I'm willing to invest in it. $1,500 is about what I got. <laughs> A little bit more than what I got, very truthfully. And I'm willing to invest in it so that we have a chance for tomorrow and a chance for the year after because I see things, and maybe you can't see them, but I'm at a place where I can see things and I see things on the horizon that are exciting. And I see that God has positioned us in this place and this time as exciting things are going to happen around us. It's taken a long time for this building to come to a point where it needs to be, and it's still going to take some time. But I believe it's happening. And I believe the kind of things that are happening are the kind of things that are going to be individually life-changing and community-changing. And I believe as I see us working with Sherland and I see us doing other mission, I see us not only changing a community, but changing how we do ministry together. So I think that's worth investing in. And I think $15,000 is a silly amount of money to stop that. So think about it, pray about it, wherever you are in your family. If you consider new life, we don't have members, and I'm sorry, that's just life, I guess, until we get a little bit stronger and a little bit more on our own. But if you consider new life your family, if you consider this your home, 
I want you to think about how you can invest maybe as a one-time gift for this $15,000 and then kind of going forward into next year what that might look like. And we'll talk about that more. I don't want to dwell too much on it. I don't want to um, seem desperate in my ass, but I, I am convicted at this point that the fundraising has to stop and that we have the resources here to pay for $15,000. So let's do that together. If you write a check over here in the next couple weeks, just make a memo, just write 15K. If you go online, you know, you can pay through our, our website and you can just write 15K on that so that we know that that money is going towards that $15,000 so that we can look then for the future and, and, and for everything else. So that being said, let's, uh, did we collect our offering? We probably didn't because I was talking. Um, that's good. That's okay. Let's collect our offering and... Um, Yeah, just, just take that as a, a serious um, call to not, you know, get the checkbook out and write a check or, or go online right now, but to really think about it, um, really plan, really see where you are and how you can honor each other, how you can honor God, uh, and how you can uh, honor new life. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together for this opportunity to praise you. We ask that you just send your spirit upon us now, that you fill us with hearts of love and your grace, that we may be transformed, that we may be people who follow you. Help us now, hear with new ears, see with new eyes, and be called to be your disciples. We pray this. Your holy name. Amen. Well, welcome once again to New Life. I'm Mark Myers. I want to welcome all those joining us online. Uh, make sure if you miss anything, you can always uh, pop into Sherland at 11, or you can uh, catch up on www.findnewlifeumc.org or on the podcast New Life UMC. You may not know this about me, but I am a, at the same time, it's kind of a paradox, at the same time, an excellent and a terrible poker player. At the same time. Both excellent and terrible simultaneously. I am that way because this is how I play, at least when it comes to Texas Hold'em poker, this is how I play. Now, those of you who are familiar with poker, you're sinners, and I will pray for you. <laughs> so, it's become, uh, you know, kind of a, a casual sport these days, but... In the first few hands, when I am playing poker, casually, not for money, it comes to a point where I go all in. That's a term that comes from Texas Hold'em Poker. I put all of my chips on the table. Now, when you do that, I usually do that within the first two or three hands. When I do that, often what happens is a lot of people fold. But sometimes, somebody stays in. And they also go all in. You have to put all your chips on the table if someone goes all in, if you want to keep playing. 
And at that point, one, or, one of two things happens. Either they have a better hand than I do, and so I lose, and then I am out of the game. Or I have a better hand than they do, and I get all of their chips, and maybe even one or two other people's chips, and at that point I have two to three times more chips than everybody else, so the idea of winning at that point is fairly simple. I am both an excellent and a terrible poker player. Now, I'm not encouraging anyone to go play poker or spend money on poker. It's really not a great way to spend your money. But I bet if you have any idea about the game, if you know anything about it, you understand that the way I play is terrible. It's a terrible strategy. The world champion poker players do not play using my strategy because it's an awful strategy. The better way is to play safe, to understand your opponents, to manipulate them, and to play smart. Unfortunately, when it comes to our faith, many of us treat it the same way. We act as if the point of living is to make it to death safely. We act as if Jesus died so that we could be safe. We even pray that prayer, don't we? I do it, don't you? Lord, keep me safe. Lord, keep my family safe. Lord, keep us safe on vacation. Lord, keep us safe. Lord, I lay my head down to sleep. Keep me safe. I do not believe that Jesus Christ died to make us safe. In fact, I believe Jesus died to make us dangerous. Over the next four weeks, using our resource All In by Pastor Mark Batterson, just some insights from that, I should say. We're going to see, when it comes to following Jesus, how we can be dangerous, how we can go all in, put all of our chips on the table using that analogy. Now, for hundreds of years, astronomers and scientists thought that the Earth was the center of the universe. I just read some very interesting things about the universe today from an article somebody sent me from overseas and talking about the billions of stars there are and the billions of planets that may even look like earth and be right in the way and how there could be so many potential um, outcomes for life in other worlds and how many billions and billions of stars there are and how immense our universe is it's silly to believe looking back that at any time in our history we believed that the earth almost a minuscule speck in our galaxy let alone our universe was at the center that was until Nicholas Copernicus came around and he developed a theory that the earth revolved around the sun. And that changed everything. It was a revolution in science. A revolution in how we looked at the universe, how we looked at our galaxy and our solar system. Now when we are born as human beings, we are the center of the universe. We have to be fed and clothed and changed. And everything we do is dependent on someone else if you've never experienced that firsthand i can loan you a couple everything you do is for them unfortunately some of us never grow out of that feeling that we are the center of the universe at the heart of sinfulness is selfishness that feeling that we are most important putting ourselves and our needs beyond the needs of others, and before what God has in store for us. 
So if we truly want to follow Jesus, we need to kind of experience our own Copernican revolution, realizing that God is the center and not ourselves. Now, when we make ourselves the center of the universe, we do that in a lot of different ways. And perhaps the most pervasive way this plays out in our life is what this author, uh, Pastor Batterson, and actually many others refer to as the inverted gospel. So inverting the gospel. Instead of following Jesus, which is the gospel message, right? We invite Jesus to follow us. It's something most of us struggle with from time to time. We even refer to things, how many times have you heard this? Jesus is my co-pilot. Isn't there a song like that? Jesus is my co-pilot. What's her name to the song like that? I don't remember what it is. Oh no, I think that was the other one. I think that's a good song. Anyway, but you've heard that saying, Jesus is my co-pilot. And when we say that, when I say Jesus is my co-pilot, what am I making myself out to be? The pilot. And if you know anything about airplanes, the co-pilot is not as important as the pilot. The pilot makes the decisions. The co-pilot's there for backup. And we are comfortable when Jesus is back up to us. When we are calling the shots, when we are making the decisions. I've struggled with this as much as anybody else. When I went to college, I was happy to have Jesus as my passenger, as my co-pilot. When I declared my majors, I was happy to have Jesus as my cheering section. When I entered into various relationships, I I was happy, I should say, to have Jesus on speed dial in case I needed Him. I treated Jesus like my safety net, like a backup plan. After a couple years, I found myself not really knowing where my life was headed, not really knowing what I was going to do. I had a plan in my head and I've talked about that and it wasn't really working out the way I wanted to. And at that point in my life, I had kind of left the church there at college and I had uh, still immersed myself in religious studies. And so I asked myself this question. I said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And that's a dangerous question to ask. Don't ask it if you don't want an answer. This is what I'm saying. Because God answered that question. And I started praying and I started observing the Sabbath and I started fasting. And even though I wasn't engaged in a local congregation, I started being intentional about my relationship with God. And at the end of my junior year, I received that answer that God wanted me to go into ministry. And God had been preparing a way for that to happen and means for that to happen and gifts and graces for that to happen. And that's when everything changed. So we need to ask ourselves that question, am I following Jesus? And we also have to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? Because I think they're, uh, they're kind of one and the same. If I'm following Jesus, I'm doing what Jesus wants me to do. Jesus is leading. I'm back up. At the same time, and this is going to be hard for me and for everybody else, I think, we also need to stop trying to do things for God and allow God to do things for us and in us and through us. Now, I've worked nonstop in my life trying to do amazing things for God. God's given me so much, so I try to do amazing things for God. But I believe at the heart of the Gospel is the truth that God does not 
do amazing things because of what we do. God does amazing things despite what we do. God is doing amazing things even though we're messing everything else up. And we have to allow God to do amazing things for us and with us and through us. We have to allow God to do that. And that means if we really want to allow God to work through us and do amazing things in part of our lives, we have to consecrate ourselves to God. That's our fancy term for the day. Some days we have fancy terms, and this is our fancy terms. Consecration literally means being set apart. All right? Joshua, we talked about Wall of Jericho earlier. Joshua, as the Israelites are, are wandering in, in the wilderness, they'd been there for 40 years. Joshua, Moses' second hand, that whole generation had died. Joshua had been risen up to be the leader. At the, at, at the kind of apex of their journey, where, where they're going to cross the Jordan River, they're going to go into the promised land, they're going to see that big wall, and they're going to walk around it, and they get slushies thrown at their head. Sometimes I get the Bible confused with veggie tales. It's okay, though. I think the point's the same. Before all of that happens, this is what Joshua says to his people. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That's Joshua 3.5. That's good to remember. That's a wonderful thing. Joshua is saying that, yes, uh, three, 4,000 years ago to his people, but I believe God is saying that to us today. Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord is going to do amazing things among you. God is ready to do amazing things in our lives. And our part in that, our peace in that, is consecration. Now, it can be described as full devotion to God. We can think of it as understanding all of our time, our money, everything we own, our families, all of our gifts are from and for God. Everything we have is from and for God. Consecration isn't doing the work of the church. It's not worshiping in a certain way or praying a certain prayer. It has nothing to do with committees or mission projects or trips. It's not about even reading the Bible or knowing everything in the Bible. The, the author of this book, uh, Pastor Batterson, describes it as this, going all in and all out for the all in all. That's his little consecration catchphrase. So going all in and all out for the all in all. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go through that specifically and see how we can be all in and go all out for Jesus Christ, who is our all in all. But I also want to talk about stewardship as part of this series because we believe being good stewards is one way we can be engaged and we can consecrate ourselves. Because consecration, again, is about the things that we have, our time, our space, everything we own, and using that to honor God and making that about God. So we need to talk about stewardship, how we use our resources, how we use things like time and space, our personal gifts, our worship, our prayer. We believe there are five kind of categories of stewardship uh, in the Methodist tradition. Those are prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. So we're going to talk about those five things over the next four weeks. And as we begin our series, I want to talk about the foundational gift, the foundational stewardship piece, and that is prayer. Now, prayer is communication with God. You've heard me say that over and over and over again. Prayer is how we stay connected to God. It's how we hear and how we speak to God. If we truly want to follow Jesus, if we truly want to go all in 
all in and all out for the all in all. We need to be centered in prayer. Now, prayer can be overwhelming if we think it's a certain thing we have to do or a certain way, or if we think there are certain times or certain places that are for prayer. All of that can be true. But the goal of a consecrated life, a a life consecrated to God, is to be constantly in prayer. Is to have a constant communication, a constant connection to God. Now think of it like this. We live in a connected world, right? Where most of the tools and technology we have have to be connected, in, in particular, to the internet to work, right? The younger generation has moved from a mall culture where everyone went to a central location, the mall for a generation, to a hotspot culture. Now we've been a little bit familiar with this because our friends at the net kind of use this as part of their ministry. A hotspot is somewhere that you can access the internet wirelessly if you did not know what it was. That's a hotspot. It's probably in the dictionary now. I just read that the Scrabble Dictionary has like 5,000 new technical terms, so I'm guessing that's one of them. So that the kids can play Scrabble. So we tend to treat prayer in that way. We think that there are certain places, certain times, where prayer is appropriate. Church is a hotspot. Meal times are a hotspot. Bedtime is a hotspot. Those are times that we feel like we can connect to prayer, to God, and that's okay. But I assume one day in our technology, we will not need to go to a hotspot to connect to the internet. That's probably coming sooner than I would imagine. That we will be able to connect anywhere at any time, regardless of where we are, even out in Sherland. Which is apart from the rest of the world. And technology? I'm just it is it is consecrated. It's a wonderful place. But we need to think about connecting to God in that way. Not going to a hotspot, but realizing we are always, always one step away. During this series, I, I don't want to outline kind of things you can do, ways you can pray. I've done that before, probably do that again. I want to talk about radical stewardship. I want to talk about the end goal of stewardship. What it looks like for a a 100% all-in and all-out, for the all-in-all, consecrated prayer, consecrated presence, consecrated gifts, consecrated service, and consecrated witness. So I want to talk about consecrated prayer. When it comes to prayer, we are connected 24-7. We do not need to seek out a place or a time or a space to pray. We have access to God all day long. Even before 7 p.m., even during weekdays, that was, that's the old phone thing. I read, that's why my phone service is so bad in Sherlin, because I guess people around Sherlin like to make calls after 7 p.m. The internet gets real slow at that time. But we don't have to be hindered by that. Now, when I was single and when I was going to a seminary, I developed a comprehensive and very detailed series of spreadsheets and databases for how I would pray intentionally. And I used many different materials for a number of years. 
uh, daily devotionals, daily prayer guides, daily order of worships. I prayed through many of the different ways to pray through Scripture, both historically and, and modern. I, I really used every tool in my uh, a toolbox. I, I would spend one or two hours in just silence and meditation and contemplation. I would spend hours reading the Bible. I would use ancient ways of prayer. I employed fasting and prayer walks and Sabbath, the rosary, labyrinths, even developed some kind of modern versions of emotional and emotional tide prayers and guided prayer practices. And all of that stuff was good, but it really didn't matter what I was doing. That's going to be the point of radical prayer. The, the things that I were doing weren't really important. What was important is who I was doing it for. That's where consecration comes in. As long as I was intentional about the purpose behind what I was doing, I was consecrating my time and my space and my days to God. When I woke up and I spent two or three hours in prayer, I was consecrating my day to God. When I prayed one or two hours before night, I was consecrating the day past and the day to come to God. Now eventually, prayer became something constant for me became something that isn't turned off, that's not just a specific time, it's just something that happens minute by minute. Even when I'm talking to you. Especially when I'm talking to you sometimes. But even when I'm preaching, even when we're out at dinner, that there is a sense that I am connected to God and I can talk to God anytime I want to. I apologize if sometimes I'm having conversations in my head with God when I'm trying to talk to you. That happens. But it also guides my conversations with other people. Now I have to admit that being intentional was very easy when my life was simple. And by simple I mean going to seminary full-time and working full-time. That was simple. With starting a new church and becoming a foster parent and the, the, the kind of complications and wonderful complications of our lives, those extended periods of silence have become more and more difficult to find in my life, as I'm sure many of you know. But it hasn't ended that conversation. It hasn't stopped that conversation. It could have, but as long as I remain intentional, the conversation continues. Having a radical prayer life is all about intention. Now, this summer was really rough for our family in a number of ways. Having to move again after just moving, taking on another congregation, adding Anthony to our family. It's been kind of stressful and it's been very crazy. Jennifer and I are often just exhausted at the end of the day. When it comes 9 or 10 o'clock, we just are, are done. And I confess that we have sometimes not been intentional about our prayer life. Jennifer and I even stopped praying together nightly uh, for a time. Because by, by 9 or 10 o'clock, when all three, God help all three of the kids are in bed by 9 or 10 o'clock. That doesn't always happen. But even on a day when that happens, we are just so exhausted that you just want to lay down and go to sleep because you know one of them's going to be up at 3 o'clock. So you want to try to get as much as you can in as little time. But it's in those times 
when life is craziest and when life is most confusing and most stressful, that we have to be most intentional. So we've been praying together even when we don't feel like it and we've been communicating to God even though we don't feel like it some days and because we're exhausted, because we're tired, because we just want to shut everything else off. Truth be told, bedtime at our house is kind of like an episode of The Walking Dead. There's like three people that got that, right? It's partly zombie apocalypse and partly situation drama. But we have to be intentional about praying with our children. They're not going to learn if no one else does. In the midst of busyness, we still have to find time to be intentional about our communication. For all of us. That may mean turning off the television. That may mean turning off the radio. I, 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 I listen to WGN because I'm old, I guess. I don't know where my life's gone in the last few years. I've started doing things that my father does. And I guess that's okay. And sometimes you just need to turn off the radio, unless the Cubs are playing. But eh, that's not going to be the case next year. You just need to turn it off. Even if you're listening to Caleb, I love to listen to Caleb, and I love singing along, and, and I believe you can communicate to God through song, and, and we can experience that. But sometimes, you know, it's just the songs that you've heard over and over again, you just, it just becomes rote. And sometimes you just need to turn it off and just exist in silence even in those times where you're, you're trying to drive down the road and it's raining and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes you just need to stop and talk. Sometimes you just need to stop and listen. Sometimes in the midst of conflict, you need to stop and pray. Sometimes it just means taking a walk, separating yourself, taking a break. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter the action that you take. It doesn't matter that you're praying the rosary three times a day or that you, you know, you've done your devotion or you've read this much Scripture. As long as you are intentional, you are consecrating yourself to God. As long as you're saying, Lord, I'm going to lose my mind, but I'm going to lock myself in the bathroom for five minutes, this is your time. It's intentional. What matters is who you're doing it for. Now, the 12 disciples who originally followed Jesus did not expect Jesus to follow them. They followed, and amazing things happened, despite their actions. Believe me, if you want any rule book for the kind of dumb things that you can do as a human being, just look at what the 12 disciples did. They screwed up just about every way you, that you could possibly. And in the end, they left everything behind, and they paid the ultimate price. Judas killed himself, of course, but the ten other disciples and the one who replaced Judas all ended up being executed in some of the most horrible ways that you could think up as a human being to do to another human being. Only John the Beloved, only John the Gospel writer, lived to old age and died. And only because he survived his own execution. He had a vat of boiling oil poured over his head and he survived him, survived it. So the governor said, enough with you, and exiled him instead of trying to execute him again. And so he lived to old age. The risks we take for following Jesus, or think we take, are, are, are nothing, really, compared to what the early Christians risked, compared to what the disciples risked. Jesus says in 
Luke chapter 9. Verse 23 and 24, he says, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow. All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow. The early disciples took that literally. I think the least we can do is take it figuratively. If you are ready to follow Christ, to be consecrated for the amazing things God can do in and for and through you, you must die to yourself and live for God. As we go into this series, I believe everyone here is one decision away from a completely different life. Amen. We're going to talk more and more about that over the next... uh, Three weeks. I hope you uh, enjoy being challenged by some radical visions of what being a, a follower of Jesus Christ is and looks like. We don't all have to be there. We don't all have to do it perfectly, but I believe that we can all try. And we can all receive the kind of help that Christ is, is willing to give to us. So let's have a word of prayer as we transition to our forwarding time. Let us pray. Lord of life, help us hear your call to follow you. Help us answer that call and follow, not lead. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit to guide us in all things. Allow us to go all in and all out as disciples. Unite us, unite our hearts, make us one in all things we do. Truly, set us apart. We consecrate ourselves for your work. That we may be sons and daughters of your kingdom. That we may be people of new life and all days live in your life. We pray to be dangerous in discipleship. To be radical in love. To be transforming in service. To be connected in prayer. To be one in your presence and to be humble in giving. We ask that you make us bold in our witness. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our all in all. Amen.